147th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where we try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comet, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. But this episode, we're taking a break from our usual weekly progs to cover the Judge Dread Annual for 1987. As always, annuals are dated for the year after they come out, and this is the seventh Dread Annual, the first one without a story drawn by Carlos Escaro, at least the first one in several years. However, Ian Gibson, Brendan McCarthy, and Brian Talbot are ready to step up to the plate. The price of the annual is held steady this year at £3.50. Well, the big news is my guest for this episode, friend of the show, Joe Edie. Hey, well, how's it going? Hello, Conrad. It's going fantastically. It's oh, just, awesome, yeah. I, yeah, I've been so looking forward to doing this. And so looking forward to, to doing this annual as well, of all the annuals. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. You've been uh, a real stalwart in sending in your uh, you, your spinny opinions <laughs> for the show, which has been yeah, yeah, really yeah, every helpful. year it really gets me thinking, the spinny opinions. Awesome. So, yeah, so I'm really glad to just have you on, on, on the show today to talk about this crazy annual. So can you t- uh, tell us your uh, 2080 origin story, how you started reading the Prague and stuff? Yeah, I was, my mum bought me something around Prog 50. Uh, because oh, wow. I was uh, at home in bed poorly and she came back from the shops and she was like, oh, I saw this thing in the shops and it has a Star Wars competition on the front and I thought that would cheer you up. <laughs> and it was like it was a love at first sight. <laughs> oh, that's it amazing. Was, yeah, it was completely uh, blew me away. And yeah, I, I had this amazing Dave Gibbons cover Dave Gibbons was doing those Dan Dare covers and there were all right. these people crucified on stars in space oh, nice. spinning around. And it just, <laughs> that, that was, yeah. So that that was, um, and then I guess for the, you know, pretty much the next 10 years, it was, um, you know, in a way that only, a, only a, a teenage comic fan can. It was just the most important thing in my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, and then there was just suddenly a point, I guess there was then, they, they, you know, and then there came a point where um, there were not so many stories I was enjoying and the ones that I did enjoy were coming out in lovely, big, glossy trade paperbacks. And I, mm-hmm. yeah, switched to being a um, wait for the trades reader. Oh, I see. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like there is a lot of, I don't know, I, from what I've heard from people, there is a lot of like sort of die off in like that sort of late 80s period that we're sort of entering now, I guess, where... <laughs> The, the the golden age is kind of coming is 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 kind of slowly coming to an end and people are, are moving on to other things maybe you know you're even just go, people like uh, kids getting into high school or even college or something and just moving yeah, on yeah that's right and you know comics, and I if guess. you wanted to follow that a lot of those 2000 AD creators they were all moving over to the states so they I yeah. kind of I guess I got into American comics because you know trying to find my next fix of alan moore he wasn't in 2000 ad where was he oh he's over in these funny colored comics (laughs) (laughs) yeah we're absolutely yeah we're getting to a point where like watchman's coming out and he's doing swamp thing and things like that as well it's it's a funny because yeah in the in in the regular progs are starting to reprint uh some of his early future shocks just to kind of be like yeah we've still got alan moore like whatever like like look at this stuff um (laughs) So you said you had a copy, or you had a collection of the annual. So did you have? Uh, so d- did you, or do you have a copy of this one, the eighty-seven Judge Dredd? Yeah, I, I did get this one, and um, 
I don't I didn't remember it that well you know it was summer mm-hmm. of 86 and uh, you know there were, it, I probably picked it up maybe alongside a copy of Watchmen or something like that and <laughs> it, it sort of slipped under the radar and then the last year or the year before I guess partly because of listening to Space Spinner 2000 I thought oh, I'll go back and reread like I've always wanted to do a big 2000 AD reread that's been on my mm-hmm. kind of bucket list and uh, <laughs> and then this has triggered that off and reading back through the annuals which were still stashed in a cupboard in my mum and dad's house, mm-hmm. um, this one really jumped out. Like I, yeah. I was this one. I was just like, "Wow, this is really good stuff." Yeah, this like this eighty-seven one's kind of interesting. Just be, it, it feels like a very um, like shape of things to come sort of like annual, I guess. Like with the art by by um, especially I think Talbot and and McCarthy. It feels like what's dread what, what dread's gonna look like for the next in 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 a couple years, as opposed to sort of what he's been looking like, which is more sort of the the Ascara style, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. And with Pete Milligan doing more of the stories, there's yeah, yeah there's really a feel that the, the baton has been passed on to these kind of next batch of creators who are coming in. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So let's get to the annual here. It's good times. Um, just to give you some context uh, for the show, uh, we we've just gotten to Prague forty six to Prague four sixty six on the episodes. So that's the end of Halo Jones book three. It's Ace Garp um, in the Doppelgarp story infiltrating the weird chicken home world. Um, we've just got the 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 Dread story, the Big Sleep, and we just finished the Max Bubba storyline, so sort of Johnny Alpha's like resting up, getting ready to get revenge for the death of uh, of his buddy Wolf. Um, so that's a sort, sort of where we are on the show. Although of course these annuals would come out in August, so much later than that than than that, like sort of because that's sort of April nineteen eighty six, and these ones come out like come out in August for Christmas, basically. But yeah. Um, the annual starts with a Robin Smith cover with sort of a quarter profile of Dread and the Eagle of the Justice Department, while the inside cover and table of contents has uh, Judge Death, I believe, by Brian Bollins, just saying howdy. You know, good times. He's friendly. <laughs> it's a nice one to see him in such a good mood. I mean, you know, he's the one thing about Judge Death is that he's almost always doing what he loves. So, you know, he's got a he's got a, a, a pleasant disposition as he sentences you to death because your crime is life. You know, it's true. He's got that high job satisfaction rating. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, you throw yourself into it, you know, but uh, speaking. Of, <laughs> oh, nicely speaking done. Of, speaking of having fun, ha- having fun on the job, Joe, it's. 301, Judge Dredd. Always funny saying just that, that the thrills Judge Dredd on the annual, because I think they're almost all Judge Dredd. But anyway, um, script robot John Wagner's TV Grover, art robot Ian Gibson, letting robot Tom Frame. Judge Dredd is being called out to a hostage situation at the Alberto Runch block, but he can't make it because he's in hot pursuit, namely falling from a great height. <laughs> It's this really- is such a beautiful splash page, and and I mean, this is an annual of of great splash pages. That's one of the things that really stands out about it. And this one with him, yeah, just kind of falling miles down through the streets of Mega City yeah, One, just, saying just just plummeting the, through the center. It the 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 coloring for this one's very interesting because I th- or to me at least, just because like dread is very light blue in this one. You know, there's sort of. 
the color of, of, of Dredd's uniform sort of changes from periodically sort of going from black to dark blue and back. And this one's sort of gone even further, just sort of making him him legitimately wearing a blue uniform. That sort of stood out to me, I guess. Um, but as Dredd falls, he's able to grab a wire and slow down and then swing onto a tiny car with an elderly couple inside. <laughs> he's from hanging on top of it. He commandeers it and have and has them go after a hijacked roadliner. The cupper, the couple bickers as they go with like the wife or maybe grandma, I don't know, grabs the wheel of the car and just speeds after the liner as control demands. Also, at the same time that Dredd speaks to this hostage taker, there's just a lot going on for Dredd at this moment. Busy dive. Yeah. You know, just got, you know, you got to multitask. The hijackers I mean, It open. doesn't cause him any trouble at all. He just, it's, he takes it all in his stride. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the hijackers open fire as Dredd is connected to the ho- to the hostage taker. He, like, guns some guys down as he talks to the guy, uh, Homer Hoover, who complains that they won't re- relocate him and his family to the nearby super posh Blake Carrington block. And Blake Carrington it, 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 it is a character on Dallas, I guess I should mention. Uh, Hoover wants his whole family moved there with apartment for everybody, for all of them, or he'll kill his hostages. And here's where I'm in trouble because, like, we see his whole family here and they're clearly, like, caricatures of celebrities from soap operas and stuff. But I don't actually know who anybody is. Well, (laughs) I spent ages staring at them and and I don't recognize any of them. But, yeah, they are clearly caricatures. And the best, my best guess is that they're Ian Gibson's friends and family. Uh, I just wonder if these are kind of guest spots for the Gibsons. (laughs) It definitely could be. It's it's definitely either that or like the cast of like Dallas or um, one of those other prime time like 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 American soaps or something like that. Two thousand eight is full of these references to various television soap operas. That's so I don't know. It feels so like you wouldn't think that that's what the guys who who are writing Judge Dredd are thinking about. But here here it is. You know <laughs> what but, I really love about the hostage about the the, the hostage taker right is mm-hmm. his he's so sure that Dredd will help him out. Yeah, it seems weird. Like, I wouldn't uh, well, expect that. <laughs> my theory is, right, so that Justice Department does such a great propaganda ah. war. You know, they're always showing these shots of Dredd arresting muggers. He's the citizen's friend. Here's Dredd making the streets safe for you. And consequently, the citizens are convinced that Dredd is, is their friend. Yeah, sort of a proto, like, Judge Pal or something like that. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it could be. It's so weird for me just because I always think of Judge Dredd as the guy who specifically arrests a mugger and then arrest, arrests the mugging victim for incitement or something. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but so Dredd leaps on to, onto the road liner and orders Hoover to surrender himself to the judges or he'll be going to the morgue, not to a new uh, a block. And in some masterful legal work, Dredd takes down the driver of the roadliner and Hoover surrenders at the exactly same time. Just two busts at once. Real awesome. The, the whole Hoover family is taken away and Dredd offers to compensate the Elsters for the damage to their car. All in a day's work for Judge Dredd. And I got to say, I was really surprised that he didn't like arrest the old lady for speeding um, in the course of this car chase. <laughs> He's, he's kind of the perfect threatening camera. towards her, isn't he? You can see he's thinking, yeah. hey, is there something I can get her on? I'll let it pass this time. Not, yeah, just just this once, because that was some excellent driving. You can go free, but otherwise. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of wondering who to arrest, Joe. It's, oh, nice. 
Thrill to who was that masked perp at Drockbusters? So kind okay, of so, yeah. oh, ahead, Who please. was that masked perp? <laughs> this it's just total... seems like such a bad idea. So badly it's... thought out. <laughs> It's 100% page filler, and it's kind of uh, it, it is an interesting thing. I think just that they've decided to, in this case, spread the filler out throughout the uh, throughout the annual. There's like five of these, in the, like five different pages of it in the course of the annual, as opposed to um, as opposed to usually where it's just sort of like oh, like here's just five pages of this thing, you know? Yeah, so and in order really to justify this, time. they've invented this kind of. It, they say it gets more difficult as it goes on. Which it clearly doesn't. <laughs> no, I mean, there's one or two ones I think in the later ones that, that were kind of hard, just because I don't remember their their exact names because they're like you know minor judge child characters or something. But for this one, yeah. So the whole idea is that it's just some pictures of dread villains with their heads covered in these like question mark circles, often poorly covered. I'll mention <laughs> poorly the covered first... and all almost instantly recognizable, even Indeed, with their faces yeah. covered. Yeah, like 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 Judge Death is on this one, and I think you can even see his badge. It's just like, all right, like I know who Judge Death is, you know. And the other one's Mean Machine, and I I will say that at least the Mean Machine one is kind of a is an odd Mean Machine picture, and he's kind of got a left arm and stuff, so it's a little bit, a little bit challenging just kind of to work it out or something. But once you get it, it's like, oh yeah, no, I know Mean Machine. That's obvious, you know. <laughs> Though, and we'll we'll be going back to these how was who was this who was that masked perp as the annual goes on again and again. Oh, absolutely. Meanwhile, uh, Drockbusters is a word puzzle game with two sets of hexagons that contain letters and abbreviations that correspond to various dread trivia questions. I guess. Oh. So this was a really big TV show in the UK at the time. I don't oh. know if you had a US equivalent or if it started here. This is, yeah, so, which was called Blockbusters. Um, oh. So this would actually have meant something to most of the readers. I see. Yeah, uh, no, I don't think we had that one um, here yeah. in the States, or at least not that I've seen it. So, yeah, so I, it does have this sort of game show narration that that's kind of fun. It's, it's yeah, I appreciate that, that to, to know that it's actually a reference to an actual British game show. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, no. The people reading this at the time would have been like, "Oh, look, they've done blockbusters. Oh, that, that would have been really funny." Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I love. You know, it's one of these things where this is where, for me, these games are how you know that these annuals are meant for like kids on Christmas or something because it's sort of things to to occupy the youth once they've opened their presents and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. This is a nice one because you can do it a few times as well. Yeah, I mean, there's there is really a lot of trivia questions for it, and like a, a fair amount of like deep, um, deep dread knowledge needed. I just always like you know the first one, and I I I, I think is a KM or a CMK, which now is indelibly linked in my mind to call me Kenneth. Like I, I can't see that anywhere and not think that's just call me Kenneth, which is pretty good. <laughs> but yeah, so I guess um, moving on from. Uh, from a a day's worth of quizzes about dread, let's go to some daily dread, s- some dreads by day with thrill three daily dreads part one. Nah, n- not my best one. Whatever. Uh, script robot John Wagner, art robot Ron Smith, lettering robot Tom Frame. So we're recording this episode about a week after uh, Ron Smith has died, and it's still a huge bummer, of course. Just really, you know, it's a real sad thing for the prog. Um, it's 
what's great about pretty much every special and annual we're seeing these days is, is there are these big collections of Ron Smith's daily uh, dread strips, which always have this amazing compressed storytelling and have a ton of art and content despite their compressed size. They're great sources for some of my favorite uh, Ron Smith subjects that he's done in the course of Judge Dredd, which are like uh, the ridiculous citizens of Mega City One and, ju- and how Judge Dredd uh, interacts with them, which is really great. And it's amazing, I think, that these short little stories... I mean, he always said that they were his favourite work on Dread, mm-hmm. And he just... It's amazing to see him get a whole episode's worth of story down to those ten panels. Oh, absolutely. The, the level of detail he puts into them. I, I can't imagine many other 2080 artists who could do it on, on that scale. And it's also... What's really nice in these annuals is that they get a full page each. And some of the later annuals, you get maybe three or four on a page. And Oh, wow. Yeah, so far they've works. pretty much just been... Yeah, it's been one page per, per uh, comic panel, which is great because they're just... Re- you can really see... Because they're so big, you can really see all the detail that Smith has put into them. You know, often they're like, despite it just being like a, a, a weekly comic strip, there are these big crowd scenes um, and like big like events and disasters and stuff that are really uh, so, so much fun. But so they've organized these comics. They call it just the star system, which I guess is a reference to the Daily Star newspaper. And pretty much all the comics in this annual are from the summer of 1983. The first one sees Judge Dredd taking down a bunch of perps with some cool, like, narration. You know, like, oh, you gotta be tough if you're gonna bring the law in this city, buddy. Um, he takes one, one perp down in their apartment, and the perp's wife also gets arrested for withholding information about her husband's crime. She's like, oh, I told him not to go out and do that. And Dredd's like, you knew about it? And then she gets arrested as well. <laughs> Always know? two for the price of one with Dredd. You know, you gotta gotta hit these quotas, I guess. Um, <laughs> next up, we see a businessman hire some mob blitzers to kill his business partner, not knowing that mob blitzers also kill all witnesses, which includes, in fact, him, the guy who hired them in the first place. This is a great twist, although this has got to be a real problem with mob blitzers because presumably a lot of the work they're, they're hired to do involves doing things like, you know, take out your difficult husband or take out your difficult business partner. So yeah, I imagine that's what, that yeah. often the high rate is present. Well, I mean, I think that that's why you got to pay ahead of time, right? That's why you, it, it's not one of these uh, half up front, half after the kill or something like that. We also see... Uh, or so Dredd arrives on the scene and we also see, see that mob blitzers explode when judges try to arrest them. It's just the ultimate in discreet assassination purposes provide or services provided that you, in fact, survive the assassination of your target, you know, which is not as not not as easy as you might think. So let's go from regular megacity crime ridiculousness to me- megacity disaster ridiculousness as the Shavo foam factory explodes, covering a 20-kilometer area with Shavo foam, which is a razorless uh, shaving product, making all the mega citizens in that area completely bald. Oh, no. This is my favorite story a favorite daily star story in this annual because it's just so mad and also because ron smith draws all those bald guys yeah everybody just like first everybody's covered in foam it's like 20 feet deep or something and as they sort of swim their way out it's everybody coming out being like oh what my hair i'm bald oh no 
Um, Dread leads the relief force, freeing everybody who's trapped or injured, and then begins the real work, which is bringing the hair transplant unit to replace thousands of citizens' lost hair. Which is so important, you know. Okay, multi-step service here. It's it's such a thorough service, but also, do you think the mobile hair transplant unit gets a lot of work? I they must have been waiting for that call. They must have been so pleased when the call comes through. Seriously, yeah, there must be like five judges that just sit in the hangar for the hair transplant unit, just waiting, waiting, counting (laughs) the hair, flying out. I just love the uh, like, like as at like. Just as funny as all the people that are, um, as all the people that are like, oh no, I'm bald, are the people just trundling out en masse out of the hair replacement unit with these terrible wigs on. <laughs> like, they've just, it seems like you just walk in, they like plop a wig on your head and you're good to go. You know, it's, it's very yeah. funny. Beautiful. And then we'll end this action, this section with some crazy action as a sniper opens fire on a crowd. Dread takes him out with heat seeker bullets, and when the shooter goes to jump off the building and kill himself, Dread vaporizes him with his bike cannon. And I don't even know if bike cannons could do that, so it's pretty interesting. I think this is not canon, for want of a better word. I think that's just the kind of um, let's give the bike cannon some powers that it's never had before. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I always think of uh, the daily, Dr- the you know, the the daily dreads aren't aren't quite canon, c- canonical. You know, like some stuff happens, and Absolutely. it's like, oh, okay, that's fine. You know, it's yeah, it's you can it's get whatever. away with other stuff. Yeah, exactly. That's part of what's fun about them, I think, isn't it? That they are so self-contained, and there's some stuff in them that you just think, oh, that you could never have got that through the regular story, but you can do it in the star. Yeah, it's very much, yeah, it it creates this kind of madcap situation where they're just kind of going for a punchline. So as as long as Dread mostly stays in character, they can kind of do whatever they want. And so for me, that's what makes it so great because it makes it this great chance to have all these weird megacity fads going on and stuff. Like there's so many more fads in... The daily dreads than in regular that in 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 prog dread just because they're just kind of going for like a punchline or for a joke so it's like okay like listen now all the office workers in mega city one are moving their desks onto the street or now everybody's got personalized like weather clouds that sort of jolt people with ele- with electricity with a lightning bolts and stuff just for fun and it fits in really well here because you can just sort of get to a point where Dredd shows up, arrests somebody, and that's the end of it, you know? Beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely. But so uh, while the Daily Dreads never have covers because they're just in the newspaper, we can now move on to uh, actual covers with 304, 85 covers, the droids decide. <laughs> this is a really nice idea, I think. And one of the things about the annuals is that they have... This they usually have a bit behind the scenes stuff. They have yeah. how a story's been put together or an interview with one of the droids, and I I just really love the team feel that you get from having a dozen different creators pick their favorite covers. Yeah, absolutely. I was like, I really like this one, and I think it's it's interesting that that it's in the Judge Dread Annual because since it's the it's a review of the year of covers for 1985, and it feels like like this would might maybe fit in more in the 2000 in in the 2000 AD annual which is more of a general purpose thing i guess um the 2000 AD annual this year does have a cover review but it's just sort of a montage of the covers and you know in this one too it's sort of rough cuz you lose the color and stuff like that and they're sort of smaller so you lose some detail but 
this one is inter- like has some interesting parts because it's it's the it's the top covers, but they're all chosen by different creative droids, both writers, artists, and and editors. Um, and, and and it's really cool. You know, everybody chooses different covers. I really like. There's one. There's the one for Mutants in Mega City One, which was this big uh, dread drawn by Brian Bolland and like uh, Brian Talbot just picked it and said, "I I picked this one because I like Brian Bolland." <laughs> you know. Um, uh-huh. There's a lot of love for Ian Gibson, isn't there? He's yeah, a lot. Of yeah, Gibson definitely, especially for his, yeah for Halo Jones and stuff. Um, uh, yeah, while there are some joke answers in here, I I do think it's interesting when there are serious ones. Like they talk about how sometimes the coloring process can mess with line work or how detail can get lost um, when something becomes a cover. So that's sort of just some some little hints of inside baseball about what. Um, the the creative droid sort of look for in a good cover like there was one that was for that was ian gibson's uh robo hunter one with with all the hoagies um attacking sam and i was like cam kennedy saying oh this is the first 2080 cover in a long time that i saw on the newsstand that really spoke out to me which i think is kind of an interesting i don't know peek behind the curtain of how much they see each other's work as well yeah and alan grant saying what he loves about max bubber is how ugly he looks yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's an interesting one, just because the the idea of of Grant creating uh, Max Bubba and sort of being pleased with how uh, uh, C- Carlos Escara sort of brought his idea to the page, you know, which is cool. But yeah, and speaking of uh, historic images, or just of a Mega City One being destroyed by Ron Smith, I suppose it's uh, three hundred five, the Black Plague. <laughs> uh, okay. Script. Yeah. Can I say something about the Black Plague? Please. Um, I mean, can I just ramble for a bit about this splash page? Yeah, go ahead. So this is just this. I mean, as you said, Ron Ron Smith, we lost Ron Smith last week. Um, Mm -hmm. He was my favorite Dread artist. And he was my Dread artist just when I was just really getting into Dread and understanding Dread. And Mm -hmm. this is from 79, isn't it? Which was, I think, your top year for a while in the um yeah it's from uh progs 140 to 143 yeah so around that around this kind of these first or two or three years of ron smith is just amazing that he when he does otto sump and he does black atlantic and all those things but this this page Mm -hmm. just is everything that is great about ron smith you know at the the level of detail at the at the back you have this kind of waterfall of spiders pouring over a cliff which then kind of sweeps across the page closer and closer in the middle distance there's a a farm a really detailed little kind of western style farmstead completely mm-hmm. coated in spiders come a bit further forward there's a mutant riding a horse that's fallen to its death that are struggling with the spiders yet more mm-hmm. spiders you come even closer <laughs> and right at the front there are these freaky cat mutants also being eaten by spiders. Yeah, just and on, the spiders on the kind run, of surge. They surge, the don't yeah. they? Surge forward onto the front of the page, like like they're coming right out at you. It's just amazing. And then you look at it, and it's like he's drawn all their eyes. He's given mm-hmm. them all little spider eyes, as if he didn't have enough to do. <laughs> yeah, this. Um, I really like like this was one of my top ten uh, uh, dread stories ever for the Mega City Book Club. Oh, really? Clubs, oh, good um, choice. Um, quiz or like you know w- when they ask what your top ten uh, 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 dreads are. Uh, for me, it's just because 
Yeah, this was really when I noticed just the level of detail that Smith puts into his art. It's stuff that we'd see later also when he did um, stuff for the Judge Child and things like that. This is this story is is when I feel like I I, I coined the uh, the term or the phrase uh, "no one de- no one destroys Mega City One like Ron Smith." You know, so he's true. just the way. The way he does it, the level of detail he can put into mayhem and stuff is really amazing. And it's really visible here in the Black Plague when there's just all these, you know, literally millions of spiders. And you just got to imagine each one like being an individual dot that like Smith is drawing on the page, often with little legs and stuff like that, too. Just the level of work that that goes into it and creates some and he creates some really striking like single page images for the initial splash page. Or when uh, later, when Dred's at this town of Adam Gulch, and you know, you know, and it's this wild west town with a with a with a ditch dug dug around it, and just an an endless swarm of of spiders just approaching it and and surrounding the whole place. It's really like it, it it's really amazing stuff and really like like noteworthy and stuff that looks really great and kind of sticks with you afterwards. And and one of the other things that I really noticed seeing it in the annual is. And I don't know. I guess you've got a scan. Have you got a scan of the annual or a physical? I, I've I've just got a scan um, this time. Because like the page quality on the annuals is so good that it, you can see the detail in a way that you couldn't on the original comics. Oh, nice! The, yeah, the, the original the, comics were kind of smudgy, you know, cheap paper sure. and cheap ink. But the annuals, it's really, really crisp and beautiful. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I've I I usually get physical copies of the annuals, but I haven't been able to this time just because I've been moving and stuff. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a high priority for me. I love getting these annuals. I, I think I've said before, like they look like they, 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 they look great in the shelf, and their their hardcover nature means they're really just just a, a lot of fun and can have a good good versions of these comics for sure. So the Black Plague ran from like we said, Progs one forty to one forty three, which is episodes forty two and forty three of the podcast. Uh, real good basic story millions of millions of spiders are pouring through the cursed earth destroying everything they come across at a farm we see Moe's big left ear hop aboard his trusty carnivorous talking donkey Henry Ford and rides off to get help as like his uncle uh, uh, flat face gets eaten alive and stuff bad times (laughs) at the town of Adam Gulch they know the only person that can help them is Judge Dredd. And they send Moe's to fetch him. And I think this sort of follows up with your idea that like there might be some early propaganda about Dredd being a good guy that, that will help you out if you ask him. It is. And what's so nice, actually, is that when they fight, get to Dredd, he is the good guy. It's you true. Know, the other yeah, judges he, are like, mutants, whatever. And he's like, well, we'll might let's as go well, out there. Yeah. Totally, yeah. He arrives just in time, though, to see the massive waves of spider come over from the hills. And yeah, just we see this image of the town surrounded by, by a horde of spiders. That That's really amazing. Dredge has to hold them off the fiery trench, but the spiders climb trees to get over it. And soon, more and more of the town must be burned to keep the spiders out. Um, and eventually, they, they do successfully hold them off, but that's just because the hungry arachnids are heading for a better prize. Mega City 1. <laughs> really non-stop so, those first 12, 12 pages it's just like bam 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 isn't it yeah it's just going from one place to another and then you're in this siege where there's constantly different ways the spiders are breaking through this fiery line and like you know oh they're on, they're at the schoolhouse oh they're 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 climbing over on trees we got to stop them it's really awesome so dread and henry ford ride out to warn to warn the city because the cursed earth radiation messes with their radios 
Dread and the donkey do manage to get through, crossing this bridge swarming with the deadly spiders. And the city responds by shooting massive napalm shells at the oncoming spider hordes. But unfortunately, most of the spiders in response are able to dig underground and save themselves from the fire. Oh no! Under cover of night, the Black Plague climbs the city walls and begins to eat the city, scurrying through cracks in walls and roadways. Soon they're crashing through city block and eating people by the thousands. With no other options, Chief Judge Griffin authorizes the ultimate cure for the plague, which is just to sort of bomb that section of the city into oblivion. Whoa. Do you think like each time Ron Smith got the script for the next episode, he was like, oh no, now they want to blow up the city. First it was the spiders, now they're blowing up the city. I mean, I feel like, you know, we've seen Ron, like, like, We've seen so much of the city destroyed under Ron Smith's watch, you know, like he was because he drew like when Father Earth attacked and they and that one power plant turned into a big volcano. He was there when Captain True. Shank uh, launched the missiles or or launched that one missile at Mega City One, which was kind of the first oh, shot of terrifying. the uh, of the apocalypse war, you know? Yeah, yeah like he, I feel like, you know. That converted me to a lifetime of opposition to nuclear weapons. <laughs> that shot, Fair that enough. shot where, where he, where you kind of felt was the point where he draws. Yeah, no, they really burning. Ah, oh, yeah, just, and like the the yeah. writing goes really in depth about what the effects of of a nuke are and stuff. Yeah, it definitely feels like it's it's designed to uh, to freak kids out about nuclear. <laughs> it certainly freaked me out. But I feel What's... like especially these early days, like. I imagine there's like a uh, an an artist sheet that like uh, John Wagner gets or, or John Wagner and Alan Grant get of like who's going to be working on their stuff, and it seems like they save um, comics that are about weird stuff in Mega City, like Citizens in Mega City One or Mega City One being destroyed for Ron Smith and sort of bring him in because he's a guy that can do the level of detail either in regular Citizens like Otto Sump. Or with the city being blown up, like this comic, like he's the guy who can really do that stuff the Definitely. best, as opposed to more conventional stuff yeah. that maybe other artists are, are are handling. And I love that even when we get to this last page, he then draws a vast pyre of burning spider corpses that towers over the entire page, <laughs> and they've all still got those little dead eyes. Yeah, the spiders can't dig underground this time because of the because uh, the concrete that the city's made of, and the as the, as this part of the city smolders, the black plague is finally cured. But are all your cures this so drastic? But a bum. <laughs> Henry Ford's a great character. He's a kind of classic, yeah. amazing side character that we never ever see again. Yeah, he's just a just a one off. This uh, s- this sarcastic carnivorous donkey. Like yeah, I feel he- like. You know, I'd I'd watch some cursed Earth adventures of 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 his. You know, I feel like the further adventures of Henry Ford would be fantastic. Yeah. He could have shown up in the Hell Trekkers as a kind of guest Ooh, spot. Definitely, and, um, yeah. Also, it's always really good when there's a kind of a side character who's not in any way intimidated by dread. People like yeah, you know, like Max Normal or somebody. I think it, like it's a really different dynamic. Normally, dread is just surrounded by these people who are quite scared of him. Yeah, um, definitely. Like there aren't a lot of characters that give back talk to Dredd yeah. and and Henry Ford does to the point of being threatened but with the lawgiver <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> yeah. Amazing stuff. Um and speaking of um unnamed terrors, it's Thrill Six. Who was that masked perp part two? <laughs> oh god, what is it now? 
Uh, more perps need identifying. This time, real clear. Uh, there's Fink Angel. There's Chopper. And you can see the word, his name on, on his hoverboard here, which is ridiculous. Um, there's someone there, in a chief judge's uniform. Who can that be? Who could who could a villain in a, who could a villainous chief judge be? Oh no, yeah, Judge Cal, of course. And then there's Satanus, and Satanus's whole T Rex head isn't even covered by the question mark. It just sort of covers his mouth. Like that's the most noticeable part of him, I guess. It's brilliant. You might just be going, which T Rex is that? I can't see his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's you know, like oh, could it be old One Eye showing up? No, because she was never in in the Dread comics, whatever. But speaking of mysterious time travelers. It's nice. Thrill Seven Daily Dreads Part Two. So, more Daily Star Dread comics. Uh, script about John Wagner, art about Ron Smith, lettering about Tom Frame. This time, a mysterious globe appears at the at Jules Verne Plaza, and a majestic figure steps forth. He's a time traveler from the future, here to learn about the past. Naturally, Dread shows up and arrests him because his time globe landed on some dude. You're going to travel in time the slow way in the ISO cubes. Real good. <laughs> Should have done his research. Got to be careful, you know. You'd think there'd be records of a time traveler being in jail so you wouldn't go. But, what you know, who's, who's to say, I guess. Um, next up, it's a, it's a futuristic Romeo and Juliet as a citizen climbs a massive nine, at least nine-story ladder to his beloved's window. But when Dredd calls out to him, Romeo freaks out. The ladder topples, and he goes flying into some lady's window and is brained because she thinks he's a burglar. Uh, oh, well, the course of love never runs smooth, which is a Midsummer Night's Dream reference. And honestly, this whole thing feels like Pyramus... Pyramus and Thisbe way more than it does Romeo and Juliet. That's right. Nice. Theater nerd stuff on Space Spinner 2000. I got you. Um, any- <laughs> That's very pleasing. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to see if I can't get you to give me more British pop culture references here as we go to this game show with some celebrities that I don't get. There's a lady named Edith, Edith with glasses and another guy named Bob that's asking her questions, I guess. Man, I should have checked this one out. I, this one, it, I think they're more just... Uh generic ones Bob Cromola who on earth is Bob Cromola um, <laughs> I mean he's kind of there were there, there was could be Bob Monkhouse who was a big uh, there, I think there were a few Bobs around mm-hmm. okay yeah no no problems right I just didn't Th- these are ones that that also feel like Ron Smith like stretching his caricature muscles so I wasn't sure and I, and I don't know what yeah this I think exactly. they're more Ron Smith caricatures whereas the next one yeah. has got some recognizable faces oh absolutely um but so a lady named, named Edith gets tricked into admitting that her game show is rigged and dreads arrests her and the co-host Bob, getting him with a leg shot when he tries to run, of course. Final question, how do you like your bread and water, stale or not at all? <laughs> he's got such a mean look on his face that he's... <laughs> That's he's an really exceptionally mean dread there. Yeah, well, he's there really tears. But... So she's, she, he's, he's, got <laughs> she's, her, he's grabbed her hair and she's sobbing <laughs> as he drags her off to jail. I just mm. like how uh, how how dread has he he's really decided to, to start buttoning all of his arrests this week. He's got a tagline for so many people. It's real awesome. <laughs> Do you think he After polishes that... them up? Do you think he works them like this? Is what he does. 
in his time off, he's working probably. on lines. I mean, I gotta say, like, if I was a if if I was a judge or just any kind of like I don't know, like action cop or something, yeah, I'd really spend a lot of my downtime just working on my one liners. You know, I'd go to like an improv class and stuff, and really just try to try to really get those honed to a razor's edge. You know, that's it's so what, important. It's what made him the man he is today. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So Dred's investigating a traffic jam caused by some dude charging a toll on like this highway, and it turns out that he's bought and he's just bought a fake deed basically and just decided to start charging he bought it from this guy in a flannel knee pad dread takes him in and then gets stopped by a boy george-esque meta- mega citizen so random. Rec- he's recently bought the deed to the hall of justice from another man in a gray flannel knee pad and dread's like i gotta find this flannel knee pad guy for running scams and stuff as he arrests these two yeah no just like oh hey it's boy george whatever <laughs> i love Previously, that, we- um, uh where Dredd says stupidity is no defense, which I guess he must get to say a lot to the citizens of Mega City One. Oh yeah, I gotta feel like that that's just written on a wall somewhere. It, it, you could just point to it constantly. <laughs> it's in the Constitution, I think probably. Uh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I um it, it is funny when these caricatures show up just randomly. I, I remember there was one time where there was a store opening and there was a celebrity that there that that, that was clear. Cl- clearly prince as well and it's very just like oh like i guess we're just getting some 80s stuff in here fair enough you know and it must be hard work for ron smith to come up with all these new faces so i think he's more than entitled to every so often just take something out oh, of the photo file absolutely um it's an intro i i i recently listened to a, a an interview that everything comes back to 2000 ad did with him and he sort of talked about how he would like try to put his friends and different people just into these daily strips just because he always had to have different faces and eventually <laughs> it was just hard to keep that all managed. Um, so, so now there's, I, I think, more celebrity cameos as a chat show host talks to a married couple at the Crockery Nook home for the extremely aged. I love all these uh, build, very specific building names. And they're celebrating their 150th anniversary, which means they were married in 1955, way in the past. It's kind of and, quite freaky, isn't it? Because it means like we've <laughs> when you when you read yeah. it and you think the people of the 50s are living through into the world of Mega City One. That could be us if we have sufficient cybernetics. We could all get to be. Yeah, we could all survive to um, to Mega City One times if if you yeah again if, if you're able to like be like. Um, who was that guy? Oh, geez, I forgot him now. That 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 dude that 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 fell in the in the rad pit and was just um oh night of the rad beast where that guy fell, fell in a rat was like yeah, over a hundred years old. Every bit of him is kind of robotic. Yeah, yeah. Like this, just, they have just this... his robot part survived. Yeah, mm. <laughs> I feel quite unsettled by these robot lips they have that come out. On yeah, well, because it's ever so yeah. slightly creepy. <laughs> this because this, this old this elder couple, they're all like incredibly cybernetic. I, the uh, the wife just doesn't have legs; she's just got like two pairs of wheels, like from a from a <laughs> dolly or something, just coming out of her out of her hips. And the husband's like got one of those things where like only a quarter of him is still flesh, and the rest of it's all robot. Yeah, and they got robot lips that extend out to meet where they kiss and stuff. It's real ridiculous. <laughs> and dread shows up and everything goes wrong they both freak out the the wife falls off of her um weird dolly <laughs> legs and stuff oh it's bad the the husband just starts popping a like popping apart like a robot popcorn or something 
Dredd calls a, uh, a med wagon and said he was only there to give them a congratulatory uh, certificate from the chief judge. It's I love that whole genre of Dredd stories where he just turns up to do some kind of piece of mundane civic duty and, and it always ends up with somebody dead or arrested or he finds they're committing a crime yeah absolutely why I, would you I, send I, dread why would you send dread to no. deliver a letter it can only well because it's weird yeah it it it's weirdly not square with this theory we've been working on this episode where people think <laughs> that he's a good guy right like i feel like you know it, it, it defies the kiss of logic death. yeah um luckily the the couple will be okay and dread's just like make a don't, don't send them a note for their 200th anniversary <laughs> pretty good um after that dread is is chasing a cyborg murderer while the man bot has eyes that can see through walls and fists that can punch through them he'll still drop to a punch in the kidneys just like everybody else plus the impact of falling from that punch then messes up with his motor circuits and he just starts running and can't stop and goes straight into the path of an oncoming train scrub that cyborg I love this one just because it's or no I mean I, I love all these but this one's great just because it's it's just complete slapstick of like oh like here's this crazy cyborg how Dred, how's Dreads gonna handle it like one punch the gut and that's all it takes <laughs> <laughs> uh, meanwhile the sector one council is getting pissed as sector three keeps disrupting their electricity supplies the sector mobilizes all of its city defense forces soon sector three does the same there's a 15 mile wide front of a brewing sector war to this potential chaos rides in judge dread he talks to the leaders oh there's an electrical dispute fine and he just turns off electricity for both sectors (laughs) I feel like this is yet another Wagner and Grant comment on the Cold War, isn't it? This is yet oh, another yeah. 80s Cold War thing. Right, yeah, just 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 two sides fighting over things they barely even remember anymore. Just like, oh, we're going to do this, blah, 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 blah. And then Dredd just comes in, cuts the Gordian knot, tells all forces to disperse, except for the sector leaders. You're all doing 12 months in the cubes. I love just the, because this feels like something that that we've talked about, especially in other annuals, actually, about city defense, how it's really just, like, it causes more trouble than it, than it, uh, than it fixes, you know? Just it's sort of clearly ran- the worst idea yeah. ever, city defense. You just can't <laughs> believe that it's, it's allowed yeah, to go on. <laughs> we'll give them all weapons. We'll license them all to have weapons. What's, you know, how, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah, like, yeah, we'll just give all these idiots that live in Mega City One like military grade weapons and hope for the best. <laughs> just like periodically, it's like, yeah, it's war time, whatever. Really, yeah, it's really great, and I love that so many of these are just dread showing up, being like, "You guys are idiots." Everybody goes to jail. <laughs> you know, it's really great. In the final daily dread for this annual, a couple wants a divorce, but a while ago the wife was in a car accident and had her head grafted onto her husband's body. Naturally, this is going to make divorce quite difficult. So Dredd decides to, to split the difference. He pulls out the big cleaver and proposes just cutting their body in half right down the middle and they each get one side. The couple quickly decides to work their differences out instead. And the wisdom of Solomon once again saves Dredd's on some paperwork. <laughs> Where does he get the cleaver from? That's, he, this is he not standard me. Justice Department equipment. No, it, it it is because he calls down to stores and has them send a cleaver up. <laughs> like that's the official like Justice Department like body cleaver. It seems like. 
<laughs> this like big, like weird curved, like giant knife kind of thing. They look at it like, ah, oh, we got to yeah. go. I would like to see it like a day in the life of the cleaver. What what are the various cases that it is called upon to sort out? I wouldn't be surprised if it's 100% for various disputes where they threaten to cut something in half and then yeah. hope that the person the people just say no, but I wonder how many times they actually do just cut the baby in half or something like that because it's it's, it's like the mobile hair transplant unit. It's like we've got the hair transplant unit just in case, we've got the cleaver just in case. We don't use any of them as often as we'd like to, but that's well, you know, good to have this them. is where this is what, what, why when there's a big accident and, and hundreds of, of judges die, they can still keep working because they just got to pull people off of these um, semi-non-official or, or, you know, semi-useful specific <laughs> businesses, you know? Like, all right, like Cleaver guy, you, you got to work the street. It was the po- it, it was uh, it was day of chaos, you know? Oh, man, like all I know is the Cleaver, you know? <laughs> if you had the Cleaver on day of chaos, you'd be sorted, though. That would be, would be useful. You'd defend yourself nicely. Cleaver guy, the cleaver guy would be a good guy to have on your side. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm picking, I'm picking. I, okay, we're, we're 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 picking teams. I got cleaver guy. I got hair hair. You've got the hair unit. It'd be a fight like over I, who gets who gets. I feel which. like I'm set. You know, it's good times. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So speaking of complications in Negative City law enforcement, it's Thrill 8. Who was that masked perp? Part 3. So, yeah. So more masked perp this time. So we're starting to get to ones I don't know the actual names of, I guess. There's like the ape gang, that trash god guy from uh, from Memphis during the Judge Child. There's Nosferatu, write his name in blood. Excellent. And uh, the Judge Child, I think. <laughs> I think fairly obviously the Judge Child. And also, it's like the monkey. It's like Satanas. It's like if you, their monkeys are dressed as gangsters, it doesn't matter if you cover their faces. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, you can see the, like their their big hairy hands and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, all that we've all that's happened out. is we've had like twenty or whatever beautiful historic pieces of artwork ruined <laughs> with great big <laughs> black circles stuck over them. I, it, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's just silliness. Just trying to keep these kids doing something. I guess. I wonder. Did I already say this? I wonder if like they were just. It was just going to be a sort of rogues gallery. Some they were like, mm-hmm. yeah, let's do a rogues gallery of the twenty great dread villains. That'll be really good fun. And then somebody looked at it and said, we've not got a quiz this year. I know. Let's go through the rogues gallery and stick a big circle question mark over everyone's face. Yeah, I mean, they've definitely done just rogues gallery sections in the past. Yeah. And yeah, this feels like something like there are sort of these things sometimes that are like really obvious stuff. I'm thinking back to one year where they did a spot the difference picture and there weren't actually any differences because it was just like, yeah, Judge Dredd's the best. That's how it goes. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, yeah, this, it feels so, like, a lot of times these these filler sections especially very much feel like, oh, we've got to do something. Oh, how are we going to get five pages out of whatever? And they're just like, all right, we got some some clip art. We do something random with it. Good to go. Oh, no, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, you know, they had a budget and they couldn't, you know, if they'd had the money to pay for someone to draw something amazing on each page, they would have done it. But, yeah, Yeah. they've got six pages and no money and you have to fill it. What can you do? Yeah, the uh, the non main uh, like the extra stuff in these annuals is very much the art of the possible, like what can be done, you know. Yeah, I'll tell you what I do love about seeing a Dreads Road Galleries. It always makes me think like if you had a U.S. with with U.S. style supervillain road galleries, they would be perpetually returning villains. Whereas with a Dreads Road Gallery, they're all dead. 
yeah, it's very much we got to keep thinking of new of new weirder threats to deal with for sure. Oh man. So okay, and speaking of um weird new enemies for dread to fight and some old friends as well. It's Thrill 9 Judge Dread. Oh. Script robot John Wagner's TV Grover, art robot Brendan McCarthy and Riot letting robot Tom Frame. So it's not Brendan McCarthy's first work on Dread, but it's his first work since like 1980 basically. This one's again a, a full color middle of a of of the annual, and it's very it feels very shape of things to come for me just because of the of the psychedelic artwork and just some early examples of what would be McCarthy's signature with with Dread, which was is sort of this wide look like a Dread helmet, you know? Yeah, the wide he Dread look, the deranged perps, and I mean he really hits 2000 AD in this year, doesn't he? I mean you read the annual, and then yeah. there's a bunch of great stories by him and. Beautiful. Yeah, this is yeah, this is when we 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 really start to see McCarthy sort of doing a lot of stuff in 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 the prog and generally. So Dread investigates a break in at a chemical plant in the Arnold Grove area, which apparently is where um Beetle George Harrison was born. Oh, very <laughs> nice. Did my did 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 my googling there? It's always interesting finds... isn't it, to kind of work out what the reference is. We didn't say with the kind of hair disaster. There was a Telesavallis overpass, and oh, uh, I didn't see that. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's awesome. And there was another one. There was a Telesavallis over. It was at the junction of uh, Telesavallis and Yulebrinner. Beautiful, <laughs> famous bald guys. That's amazing. Oh man, I'm sorry I missed that. That's ridiculous. And so now we find six members of the Hunchback Gangs. Gang, a Juve gang from the Victor Hugo block. Victor Hugo, of course, writer of uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame. So good times. Oh. They're all real odd looking with big hair and lots of cyberware and stuff. I think the place. they might oh, all be survivors of the shaving foam disaster <laughs> who have been given th- those hair transplants. Yeah, they've all got got very exotic um, and, un- and uh, ridiculous hair looks for sure. <laughs> Um, so Dread, uh, they're looting the place where, and, and Dread shows up and gets a drop on him. He quickly shoots like three of them. Eventually the other three give up, but as Dread goes to arrest them, things start getting weird. His throat goes dry and he starts pouring out sweat. Suddenly everything gets really, really trippy and Dread just opens fire at terrifying leering faces only he can see. The perps go to run as Dread starts just shooting randomly and jumps out a window, but then they decide to arm themselves and kill the judge because he's seen their faces. Meanwhile, Dread's just having a bad time. His bike melts when he tries to get on it, and he wanders out into the night dodging traffic. The city turns into a nightmare of neon ribbons, and Dread is pretty sure he's hallucinating, but can't see, can't, like, you know, he's sort of, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm hallucinating, but I think this new world that's clearly a hallucination seems more real than the actual real world. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and it just gets madder and madder page by page. Yeah, everything just keeps moving along. He's easy. Interpreting new, like, citi- like people he passes as monsters. A couple citizens just think that, that he's a he's a, he's a a drunk judge and just sort of, like, tut-tut him. Like, for shame. For shame, Judge Dredd, drinking on the job. Uh, <laughs> he, he freaks out as the perps approach. Or, sorry, uh, Judge Zucker, I should say, investigates as citizens offer Dredd a hand. But the hand they offer it has like is all like starfish shaped and has like a crazy eye in the palm and stuff. Okay, and a Dredd what, freak. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. what Dredd does is he pushes the citizen through a window. 
and the citizen is impaled on an enormous yeah. shard of glass. It's like when when Judge Dredd pushes you through a window, you get pushed through that yeah. window. It's extremely serious. Yeah, there's no there's no minor um, interactions with with Judge Dredd. <laughs> so um, Zucker arrive or the uh, the perps approach and Zucker offers to help, but Dredd's mind turns him into Judge Death, and the two of them have a massive fight. Um, like between, you know, Dread attacks Death slash Zucker in a terrifying dream sequence. He wanders off into a demolition into a demolition site, seeing only a massive city of bones. Oh, it's real cool. The perps shoot him and start giving him the boots, just kicking him when he's down. That's such an unsettling shot, isn't it? Like Dread lying on the ground with all these guys just yeah. Kicking raining him. down on him yeah it's real tough it's it, it's really weird when it like it's so rare to see a situation where where dread is, is is weak or you know people can like sort of take advantage of him especially physically that it's 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 really arresting or like or like noticeable when 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 it actually happens uh, dread runs into a nearby building set for demo- for demolishing takes a few more shots or sorry he he gets shot a couple more times like bouncing off his off his helmet and stuff when he realizes that instead of being in a hallucination cave he's in an actual crumbling building and then starts knocking down pillars and stuff to bring the ceiling down on him best shot of the comic i think that page with dread doing the kind of uh samson and pushing the yeah. two pillars and just bringing yeah. the whole building down on top of him. And this is, of course, the great thing about Dredd is he's always like, even if it kills me, I will take those perps out. Absolutely. Yeah, it felt very, I, I agree, either Samson or like a Hercules movie yeah. or something like that, which always seems to have these like, I've got two pillars on each side of me and I'm going to destroy them sort of moments. Oh, it's real cool. But so the building collapses, and that's all Dredd remembers. He comes to in a med bay, and it seems the uh, the perps... Bullets in the beginning of the fight exploded a container of Dyko Psycho 16, a powerful hallucinogen. <laughs> and because of that, he's cleared of wrongdoing for the citizen that he pushed to his death. And all's well that ends well, I suppose. The it, other perps are either crushed or um, in the hospital. It doesn't seem like Justice Department is really that worried about the citizen impaled on the piece of glass. <laughs> It's just no. If Dread has to knock out a couple of citizens along the way, that doesn't surprise anyone. I mean, if I imagine any, he often uh, has to fill uh, in the paperwork that says accidentally took out a citizen doing the job. Yeah, I feel like the paperwork's the the hard part. And plus, you know, <laughs> it's a mega city one citizen. Like, it's really easy to find, to prove that they're actually guilty of some ridi- of some ridiculous <laughs> crime certainly. or another. You Slightly know, unsettlingly, sprinkle. as well, uh, yeah. when Dredd's in the hospital, he seems to have a tattoo on his arm. Hmm. Brent, Brendan McCarthy has given him a little kind of Eagle of Justice tattoo, which um, oh, interesting, I, not I canonical, mean, I yeah, think not, but uh, yeah, <laughs> very weird. All right, so, and I, I. I like how they do the classic thing where Dred's all bandaged up at the end of the story, so his entire like upper head is bandaged, so you can't see his face at all. Yeah, always, always bandaged my, Dred's head. Yeah, really good. Uh, or I, I always like that little touch of protecting Dred's identity. And speaking of people whose faces we can't see, it's <laughs> it was Thrill a- Ten. Who was that masked perp part four? And the dictionary of quotations. <laughs> 
Um, more masked goons. And like you said before, these all have difficulty ratings. And this one's supposed to be head scratchers. But honestly, it's pretty easy. The fact that one of them is clearly a werewolf. Yeah. One's a werewolf. One is Muty the Pig and has MTP written on his hat, which was, I believe, one of the answers for the uh, the Drockbusters quiz earlier in the comic. Yes, indeed. <laughs> it's like, okay. And then the last one's Captain Shank. Like, I know that one. I know that dude anywhere. Yeah, he's got a big uh, speech bubble with pirate speech in it. And like, yeah, just really noticeable, like Dr. Octopus dreadlocks, you know, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> Next up, it's a big collection of cool dread quotes. Um, there's a lot of them just for different sort of recent dread events. I like the ones that refer to Mayor Dave, of course. Like, oh, you know, Mayor Dave, we all miss him. Yeah, you know, you know, uh, so sad passing of Mayor Dave. Like, there's one that's just like, what is what is policy? Things are just like, ook, 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 you know. Um, it's nice to see the scripts also- get a bit of a look in because, like, it's easy to showcase the art in the annuals and like with the cover yeah. section. Really nice to have a kind of quotes and one-liners because that's something yeah. that they do so well. Absolutely. Yeah. I like stuff um, like there's the last words of Yogi Yakamoto to Chopper from the Midnight Surfer. Mm. I think my favorite. One that I really. Oh, go ahead. No, go on. I was going to say, I think my favorite is um, any cadet who can put his uh, mother away for 18 years has got the makings of a damn fine judge. That's pretty solid. I also just like um, where someone's saying, like, oh, there's a new Council of Five. Like, this could be a new, a a sort of a new day for the Justice Department being like, like, uh, you know, being fair to citizens. And someone responds, yeah, and I'm two ton Tony. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) You know, I love uh, skepticism by, by the citizens. And speaking of things that I'm skeptical about, it's Thrill 11, Judge Anderson. Which, Le- oh, it's the big tech story. For like this death and draw. taxes, the Judge Dread annual tech story uh, is always with yeah. us. Absolutely. This time it's uh, written by Peter Milligan with art by Brett Ewens and Steve Dillon. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, tech story time. These are always for once you've read the comic a couple times and you're like, fine, like we're, we're riding home from grandma's from Christmas. I got to do something. So let's read this story here. <laughs> so true. This one I think is is okay, though. I, yeah, definitely. I, 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 yeah. It's, it's got some decent and sort of a good preview of, of what we'll see or what kind of an Anderson story, a Judge Anderson story can be. You know, we're start, or in 86, we're starting to get like these Anderson solo stories and stuff. So it's an interesting thing of just sort of how you can use psych, psychic abilities to tell a story. This one's called The Scream. As Anderson wakes up from a nightmare where she was in the mind of a killer going after a woman and three children. And she's on the case. She reports the dream to Side Chief Omar and says that she might have a lead on the Alphabet Killer. Because it looks like there's this killer in Mega City 1 who every night kills 26 people. Um, he's done it for the last, or they've done it for the last 38 nights. And basically they just kill a person whose name starts with A and then works their way through the Alphabet um, killing one person whose name starts with each letter, and most of the city's people with Z and X names have already fled because there's so few of them that they're more likely to be killed than like <laughs> some other letters. Um, it's making the Justice Department look pretty bad. We actually see like people like protesting and being angry that they haven't been able to catch this killer. That's a really unusual take, isn't it? On on Mega City One, I think. Yeah, Pete Milligan likes yeah, to definitely. kind of see things from a different perspective, and you can see that he would have, you know, he's the kind of writer who would go, "Well, what's not being done? Oh, what if the judges mess something up? What would the citizens do? Well, they'd be they'd come down quite hard. They'd say, 
you know, we understand you have to kill a few of us in order to keep us safe. But if you're not going to keep <laughs> us safe, what's the point yeah, of you? Then what's the point? Yeah, exactly. Um, Anderson takes this to the chief judge, and, and I believe it's Chief Judge Magruder, but they don't actually say her name at any point, just that the chief judge is, is a lady. Um, and she's pretty skeptical about Anderson's dream. She gives the inf- Anderson gives the info to the Alphabet Task Force, but they all seem pretty burnt out, you know, because the citizens are starting to protest. There's also like a block war brewing. It's interestingly a block war between the Grover Block and the Mills Mansion. So it's the two, you know, it's a it's a John Wagner's pseudonym versus Pat Mills, I guess. Yeah, you've um, got to wonder what that's about. <laughs> yeah, I hear there was and an even what- worse block war between Morrison and Moore blocks. <laughs> absolutely yeah, the, you know those ones never actually overlap in the course of the prog so it's you know we don't see it as much um we see uh judge monk who seems to be the the judge in charge of this case he's pretty philosophical about the killer just that 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 this is what's freaking everybody out but not the regular just like death and mayhem of mega city one it actually really reminds me of the joker's speech in uh in the dark knight movie where he talks about like you know like, you know, a uh, a bunch of soldiers die in the Middle East or something and nobody cares, but you put on a put on a on a, on weird makeup and kill one person and everybody goes crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um as Anderson enters side division, she's once more grabbed by her vision of the scream. This time she reaches out to get more details, part of the name of the block, uh, and she gets a clear vision of a judge's helmet, which means that this whoever this killer is, they're a judge. Uh, back with the chief judge, Magruder and Omar agree to let Anderson uh, investigate her vision, but to keep it all off the record because there's so much anti-judge sentiment that this could really blow a lid off the city, basically. Um, Anderson's filtering through the blocks based on her vision. She got a clue that the block name ends in ESS, and there's 739 of those in Mega City 1, so it's hard to narrow them down. It's always like there's always some kind of clue in Mega City 1, like a name or or an initial or a number, and they always go to the computer and it always says, yeah, there's a thousand of them. <laughs> How do yeah, you police I mean, something that... But your clues are useless, aren't they? Oh, we found a fingerprint. Yeah. There's 500 citizens with that fingerprint. Yeah, I really like that, though, because it does sort of do some, do stuff to drive home just the vastness of Mega City 1. Like, it's not... You know, even... It's, it, you know, it's like 10 times as big as, like, New York City, you know, or, or anything else you can think of. And so it just, yeah, I, I, I just always love when they get some clue and as opposed to instantly breaking the case, it's like, oh no, like we gotta, we gotta spend some time thinking about this one, you know, as she's working the first, um, of the Knights alphabet killer victims come in, um, and she, and, uh, and the body's found by judges Lord and Monk and Monk isn't shaken by it, which seems to be a clue to Anderson. She checks out Monk and... Like Anderson, like like says something to Monk, and she can actually feel like the vibes of her scream vision coming off of him. So she investigates him and finds that Monk's father was killed by this weird serial killer, the Birthday Butcher. His father was impaled by metal birthday cake candles, and then those candles were lit, and that's how the first victim tonight was killed. So Anderson burst in on uh, the chief judge's um, office and Omar and Dredd are there as well. And she says it's Judge Monk. But in fact, we learn that Dredd has just arrested the alphabet killer. And it wasn't Judge Monk. It was some random dude. 
um, who wanted to kill his brother, Angelo Christie, and then to cover it up, he decided to kill 25 other people with a different um, names. And then he, and then he just kind of got a taste for murder and uh, just kept doing it till Dredd caught him. You know, 790 people later, he finally gets caught. Uh, that's how, just how it goes in Mega City 1 sometimes. <laughs> so many citizens get a taste for murder that... And you know, and and who can blame them? <laughs> to be honest, I mean, I guess it livens up the day or something like that. But geez, you know, almost eight hundred seems like a lot. Um, Anderson hears the scream again, and if Monk isn't the alphabet killer, he's still about to kill somebody. Anderson rushes to Monk's last known, known location, where he was rousting Jubes at the Burgess block, which matches her vision. And when she arrives, Anderson sees the scream is coming from Judge Monk. He's tired of these jubes disrespecting the law and stuff. And along with his father's death and the alphabet killer, his mind's finally broken. But before he can kill a young mother and her children, Anderson arrives with a swift blow to the back of the head. Knocks out Monk. Success! <laughs> we cut to soon afterwards as Judge Anderson is... is, uh, is Getting debriefed by the chief judge, Monk is in a psycho cube, and she's getting a compliment for solid psychic work by Dredd himself. Oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> All well, also well, that ends well, I guess, when you can finally arrest the crooked judge and save the people. Good times. <laughs> I mean, it's a nice text story. It's better than a lot. But, but this whole the whole twist at the end really did my head in. It, and that's always the problem with the murder mystery, isn't it? It's like, well, what's the, how do we make the twist difficult enough that you don't see it coming? And what is it that Judge mm-hmm. Monk, Judge Monk, is a latent telepath who's foreseen the crime he's going to commit and transmitted this to Anderson? And yeah, the reason it's... he, she <laughs> thought he was the alphabet killer was because his father was killed by another serial killer whose mo was copied by the alphabet. It's just yeah, it's it it's just kind of falls apart in that sure. last kind yeah. of couple of paragraphs, <laughs> and and it's also one of those things where it's it's not really a whodunit because the clues we get, Anderson gets them at the same time, you know, yeah, like you know, I I, I feel like a true whodunit version of this, we'd have been able to see the name of the block and the hint of the judge's helmet, and then something that would be that would let us know about Monk's past or something like that. Yeah, it's all like a real in the initial vision, the finish, and then kind of loot. Yeah, like I don't know. It's just not. It's not as good a whodunit as as could possibly be done. I don't know. But he but, was going great up until that. Like, you know, he kind of dropped it yeah. at the last minute. But I, yeah, nice text story. And I do like. Yeah, and I do really like just the flashes of visions that Anderson gets and th- and stuff. That that does a good job of sort of illustrating her psychic abilities and 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 and, and letting you get in on the character a little bit more, which I think is always appreciated. Um, so speaking of mysterious perps, once one more time, it's Thrill Eleven. Who was that masked perp? Part five. Um, more perps to name here, and again, some of these ones are tough because I don't remember the actual name of the character. <laughs> like, there's that robot general from the end of the Cursed Earth. Yeah, asking a long way back. Uh, the magic dude that owned Hideous Sagbelly, the giant uh, hallucinate hallucination frog during the Judge Child story. There's a fatty, which is of course real obvious because you know you can see the rest of because <laughs> the face the face is the least important part of identifying a fatty. Yeah, yeah, what they should have done is cut, let his left his face and covered the rest of him. Oh yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> then there's a Rico Dread, of course. 
and The Executioner, one of my favorite uh, 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 Dread stories as well. Also up there as possibly one of the easiest and most identifiable <laughs> characters. Even Definitely. Yeah, like like sexy lady dressed all in black. Skin I mean, there's only so many of those yeah. in Dread, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah, but speaking of, um, I don't know, you know, all these I, um, gonna, annual speaking, stories. Yeah, is... we, it's good to get this out of the way. Uh, I'm looking forward to the annual getting back to normal. <laughs> Yes! All right, high five. <laughs> Thank you. It's Thrill 12, Max Normal. <laughs> How much do we love Max Normal? Oh, my God. He's so great. He's such a great, like, little minor dread character. And he always shows up in these annuals, too. Like, he's a real, like, creature of these dread annuals, especially. Uh, so, script robot Peter Milligan, art robot Brett Ewins, and... Um, Peter Milligan as Mikasso, letting robot Tom Frame. Max Normal's back! Yeah! <laughs> uh, and Milligan really the, nails the dialogue, I think, on this. Max's kind of uh, chat. He's yeah, really weird, like, that. rhyming, like, hepcat lingo. Absolutely. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, I, th- I think the last time we saw Normal was in the 84 annual, I want to say, in the aftermath of the, of the Apocalypse War, where he was helping Dredd take down some, like, looters or something. But so... At the String Beans nightclub, Monday is normal night, as Max Normal lookalikes likes come to compare fashion, and Max himself shows up occasionally, but just give that man some headroom, because he's got a cool new top hat. His top hat is fantastic. <laughs> also separates real- nicely. All the, all the kind of Max imitators, he's, he's jumped ahead of them. Yeah, he's sort of innovating on his Max Normal style. It's not just pinstripes now. It's other sort of fancy clothes from the past and stuff. I like this Max Headroom reference as well, because I wasn't sure when Max Headroom started. And it feels like, you know, just a, a very minor, like, oh, yeah. I get that. Okay. <laughs> um, but hey, who's this arriving on the scene in plaid? It's Jean-Luc Ordinaire from Paris, Europe. Oh, he's here to take Max Normal down. <laughs> Brilliant, Max Normal has a rival. And he's just a French Max Normal in plaid instead of being stripes. And he's it's got amazing. a beret. Yeah, it's, it's just great. like you they just, just show up and... Yeah, how yeah. this would work as in, a kind of international craze. They just start instantly um, trading various uh, hep insults and stuff. It's awesome. They have a stare down. The, the, this town's only big enough for one retro normal person. And so they got to settle this. There's only one way to do it. A game of Shuggy. The weird hill pool game that Max Normals is, is of course, master of. And presumably Jean-Luc Ordinaire is as well. <laughs> Naturally, this sets up a betting war. Everybody bets on the outcomes of the contest. Um, but the day, and uh, while Max is an early favorite... As the day approaches, the owner of the String Beans Club starts doing some scouting, and it looks like Max isn't handling the pressure of this contest at all, very well at all. Yeah, Max, with his clean-shaven look, he seems really quite unsettled. Absolutely. So String Bean decides to bet heavy on Ordinaire, and the odds change up, and Ordinaire is, uh, is soon, like, the favorite to win instead of Max Normal. I... I- Brett Ewins does these lovely little kind of wide panels. The whole thing is done in these full-width mm-hmm. panels that he does so well. And some of them are just done as silhouettes, which are still, but they're still really kind of eye-catching silhouettes. And I, I might be wrong, but I think it's the first Max Normal story that's not been done by Casanova, who was normally the regular 
Max Normal well, artist, I mean, but he fills in very nicely. Yeah, definitely in these annuals, it's all been been Casanovas. I mean, I think like the original the original story was done by by McMahon when he first appeared, and I believe I, th- I think it was Ron Smith or somebody did stuff when Max Normal showed up during um, Block Mania. Mm, yeah, um, that's right. But yeah, in the annuals, it's only been Casanova, so it's really cool, yeah, to see this character be passed over. And I agree. And you know what I really love about um, the it's it's good to mention the silhouettes because I think that's something that Brett Ewens is really a master of is making characters have really identifiable outlines and stuff. I mean, you can really see it in something like 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 Bad Company, which will eventually do, where you know you can see Kano's weird flat head and and instantly know it's him even without any fill-ins and stuff. But just the way he draws people with like, you know, mohawks and weird tentacles coming out of their heads and stuff makes everybody feel really distinctive. And even just having Max Normal with his top hat or bowler and uh, Jean-Luc Ordinaire with his beret, like makes these two very similar characters also feel yeah. very yeah, de- <laughs> very Even their different. moustaches are just like, you know, they're nicely different. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, I mean, you yeah. say bad company and you think, oh, so, I mean, Pete Milligan and Brett Ewins are about to unleash on 2000 AD this <laughs> harrowing trauma you know but it's quite a long way yeah. the most harrowing story that 2080s run and here they are in the annual doing this really light funny yeah. banter like that they could do both those things and 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 so well both times yeah definitely it's really it's a yeah these annuals are often like chances to see car- like uh, creators do things that they're sort of out of their comfort zone or very different from what they normally do. And this is a great example of that. Absolutely. So it's the Night of the Shuggy game. It's a best out of 101 tournament. <laughs> Jean-Luc takes an early lead, but Max soon comes back and eventually it's all tied up. And on game 101, Ordinaire opens up with a powerful Sartre screw shot, but normal counters with a frisbee flip into the triple liquidator, the hardest shuggy shot of them all. He wins! Uh, as he and, should, and Shuggy just gets more ridiculous. Every time we see Max play Shuggy, he's doing a more ridiculous shot. Yeah, they're all like just the crazy pool shots that get that that gets you yelled at if you do them at a pool hall, <laughs> like you know, like like behind the back or upside down or something like that. You know, like you will get thrown out of a pool hall if you try to do that stuff. Let me tell you uh, that. <laughs> yeah, shooting after three time, definitely. So later, Dredd swings uh, swings by the club when sees that String Beans is now Normals, and Max is a nightclub owner. Oh, that's his ultimate fate. It's got to be. Um, <laughs> we see that this was all just a hustle as oh, Ordinaire beautiful. gets aboard. Yeah, he gets aboard the Zoom, the next Zoom to Paris, and Max says that that if uh, Jean Luc ever sees Vladimir Averigazgawa. He should come to he should come over from Sogblock so we can open normals too. <laughs> now so that Jean-Luc and Vladimir and Max, that is a team up that I would pay uh, oh my good God. money to see, and I'm thinking it could be called the League of Extremely Ordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> League that's amazing. <laughs> League of Normal Gentlemen. That'd be great. Yeah, no, just it really it really um creates this idea that every culture has a max normal <laughs> and that they're kind of kind working of... together that's what's also so nice about yeah. it like, oh, they all know, they each know other. they're at the top yeah. of the game they've got their different territories that they all work you know yeah and i, and I love that dredd just turns a blind eye to it you know he's like oh max i see you somehow won a nightclub i'm not going to look too deeply into that 
Yeah, well, I mean, you know, he's done so much for Dredd that at this point, Dredd just sort of tolerates his weird eccentricities. And surely the greatest of eccentricities is just randomly owning a nightclub, I guess. I feel like this is a kind of, you know, we should have the music from The Sting playing uh, at the end of this. And that in turn made me think, wouldn't Paul Newman make a great Max Normal? Ooh, like... Like Color of Money, late period. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I could definitely see it, although so much of me for Max Normal is like, like, I imagine, like, I, I know he's this hepcat, but I still imagine him as being, like, maybe it's just because the suit, like, he's sort of like an English, like a Stan Laurel almost or something like that. <laughs> nice. I don't know. But, yeah, you know, because, yeah, he's just, he's, he's, he's such a fun character, so it's great, it, it's great in these annuals when he gets a chance to sort of shine and just do his own thing, you know? He is, and I think... And, I, I, I mean, it's an incredible in an in an annual that is just nonstop mayhem and death and hallucination. <laughs> this just is such a change of pace. Um, a little bit, you know, the chat. Yeah, it, a quick swindle. Yeah, it, yeah no death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just sort of a a more peaceful side of Mega City One, almost. Yeah. And speaking of things that are maybe not so amazing, it's Thrill 12, The Answers, which is just a double page with the answers to the Masked Perp quiz with, like, the name for the garbage god, um, uh, Fillmore Pharaoh, then Murko the Oppressor and General Blood and Guts, the names that I missed, and then also the uh, the, the Drockbuster answers, and then a big ad for the 2018 annual coming soon to a podcast near you. And we're done. So we get to see all the lovely art that was spoilt by the uh, <laughs> by the question yeah. marks, although massively <laughs> reduced. But I'll say, even though it's so small, it really packs a punch. Absolutely. Yeah. And speaking of um, tiny, tiny um, perps coming after Judge Dredd, it's... Thrill 13, JD and the Seven Dwarves. <laughs> uh, script about J- John Wagner's TV Grove. This one's crazy. Uh, art robot Brian Talbot, letter about Tom Frame. So Talbot's done some dread work already, though for me it's still weird to see him do dread at this point just because I associate him so closely with Nemesis. I don't, but I mean, it kind yeah. of, yeah, it's a bit overcolored as well. Like he's such a great black and white artist. And I found yeah, the kind I've, of color I've, tall, but yeah, not so great. Yeah, it seems a little odd just how, how how the color works in this one. But so Dredd's riding home to the Rowdy Yates block when there's an explosion and he comes under fire from four dwarves, at least two of them looking very familiar. <laughs> one is clearly Doc from the Disney Snow White uh, and the Seven Dwarves movie. And the other one's clearly uh, Sylvester Stallone as Rambo, which is ridiculous. Fantastic. And I like to think, you know, Stallone read a ton of 2000 AD stuff in his preparation <laughs> for the film. And I like to imagine that there were all these kind of assistants going, make sure he doesn't see the annual. Just kind of keep <laughs> the annual away from Mr. Stallone. Oh, uh, see, I think uh, uh, a 1986 Stallone saw this and was like, hey, Judge Dredd, like that gives me an idea for a movie later. Ah, oh, you think he was like, that could be me up there. Yeah. I mean, there were, I remember even reading in the letters pages that there was talk of a Stallone doing a Dredd movie even back in like the early 80s or something like that. I vaguely remember that's been discussed. Ah, so maybe Wagner and Grant thought, what can we do to draw attention to the fact that this is the most ridiculous idea that anyone could possibly suggest? I mean, this was one where I I spent a lot of time thinking about what the... uh, 
what the genesis of this story was. And I think it's very much someone just started rhyming Rambo with other things and sort of they came from there. Like, yeah. that, oh, that sort of sounds like the names of the seven dwarves or actually more more like the names of the dwarves in Lord of the Rings, if I'm honest. But like... <laughs> No, absolutely. They were just sitting going, oh, okay, Rambo, mm, Spambo, and yeah, we could do seven. My, yeah, my big disappointment is that there is not a Cuban dwarf in there called Mambo. <laughs> and, and I feel like it's not like Grant and Wagner yeah. to skip a cheap national stereotype. Absolutely. Yeah, that's just money on the table. Like, honestly. <laughs> so... So these dwarves, they they hit Judge Dredd. He gets taken out, blasted by concussion grenades. They they tie him up, and we learn that the two of the dwarves are named Bambo and Tambo. And they drag Dredd off, briefly singing "Hi Ho Hi Ho" before uh, Rambo stops them. <laughs> Rambo does Later, not want the musical accompaniment. Mm-mm. And just the way Talbot draws this dwarf Stallone is so hilarious because it's clear to me, it seems pretty clearly done like from photographs. Like it's like, yeah. you know, like he's just sort of like copied over. But there's enough of that Brian Talbot touch to it to be really hyper exaggerated and crazy. Um, so Dredd comes to tied up in a junkyard, the dwarf standing over him and the Rambo dwarf tells their story. There were seven dwarves living in the Jimmy Clithrow block, who was a British comedian, when Dredd busts in because dwarves had been classified as mutants and now they got to leave the city forever. In the cursed earth, three of the dwarves died to acid swamp, black scab and T-Rex, which are, were all in fact ways to die in Hell Trekkers as well. Three of um, the three most popular ways to die on the cursed earth, I think. In, indeed. And now the remaining dwarves are back in the city out for revenge. They're going to boil Dread alive in a big garbage smelter. We've got a classic seem to... uh, Dread upside down, but his helmet doesn't fall off. You know, I, 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 you know, because he doesn't have a, a chin strap. Sometimes I imagine Dread being bald, and the helmet's really tight, so he just kind of suctions it down, like like, like, a, like that when he puts his helmet on. <laughs> Maybe it's like his tight boots that he wears to keep him concentrated. He also Ooh, has yeah. a tight helmet to squish his head a bit and uh, yeah, keep his focus. T- tight on both ends, like a burrito or something. Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> So the uh, the dwarves seem to be mixing up the three little pigs with uh, with the seven dwarves because they're just sort of gonna boil him like the uh, like the wolf was in the final part of that story. But as the robot arms come down to grab to grab Dread, the lawman uses a piece of scrap metal to cut himself free, break loose, and then take out the dwarves with an even bigger piece of scrap metal. Oh man. <laughs> The dwarves are arrested, and it seems like a happy ending, though, because Dread has heard their plight and has had the Council of Five rescind the dwarf amendment to the anti-mutant law. Dwarves are legal, and it's just another little piece of Dread's coming uh, pro-mutant advocacy sort of teased here, you know? It's amazing, isn't it, to see it just just kind of starting... Do you want my take on this story? Oh, please. So, I mean... um, you know, we all kind of make joking references to Dread as this fascist cop, but I mean, this is the other side of Meg City One, isn't it? That it is a eugenic state. People whose mm-hmm. bodies are not the right shape are rounded up and thrown out of the city to die of black scab and acid rain. T Rexes, yeah. yeah, and and but I mean, kind of Wagner and Grant keep coming back to this. This let's 
crustacea glamp in the hell trekkers and there's 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 another great dread story this year called atlantis which has some parents trying to escape with their mutant son it's drawn by brendan Mm -hmm. mccarthy and they they keep kind of picking away at it for 20 years this problem that dread you know like dread's dread's better than this law it's one of the few times yeah. where Dred's kind of got his eye on um, on the on justice rather than the law. He wants something a bit better, and like you say, you know, it, one day, oh, I don't know, somewhere a long way down the line, it's going to <laughs> explode really unexpectedly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's something that that there's been seeds of in a lot of Dread. I mean, even um, in the Judge Child, when he sees some a bunch of mutants getting rounded up in Texas City, he's sort of distasteful of it and stuff. It's interesting because it's these two it's these two halves of Dred's opinions about sort of semi human people, right? He really hates robots and artificial intelligences, and he's sympathetic to mutants and sort of humans that have had some trouble, you know, yeah, like yeah. even you know to various extents, like even uglies like um like Otto Sump and stuff. It's an interesting little wrinkle of Dredd's character that yeah, I don't think it gets mentioned too much just because it, it is kind of a small piece, but I, I, I think it's an interesting one. But so these dwarves have been legal. I, I mean, you... Go ahead, I'm sorry. I was just, no, finish it and then I'll come back to it. Oh, I was going to say, um, the, the idea of being a dwarf is legal, but these dwarves, with all their crimes and stuff, are off the cubes. The end. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, so I know that you've read some stuff in the future and not other stuff in the future and do you have yeah, you read just the, the big first... kind of yeah go on first thousand no i i i i've just kind of heard about it i've read the first thousand or so progs right. and then picked up at 1950 but i've seen sort of you know i know there's mutants living in mega city one now and i'm pretty sure dread had a piece of you know had had part of that um but i don't really know the exact details so it's sort of something that i'm i'm in, i'm always interested to see yeah, yeah, to no, get to eventually yeah you've got I don't know how many years in space spinner years <laughs> down the line <laughs> it is, but yeah, it's just it's an amazing story when it finally comes to a head. And like you said, it's interesting to just see it keep coming up and keep coming up and keep coming up. And it's like Wagner is constantly kind of going, "I want, I want dread to be better than this." Yeah, you know? there's all these little seeds of of long term dread like storylines and characters that I think is always really great and something that you know this idea of 2000 AD that runs for 40 years that a lot of reboots and stuff really um lets you do and seems almost like an, an organic way of doing it almost but yeah oh man Joe <laughs> with that we finished all the thrills for the 1987 Judge Dread Annual fantastic Whoa. look at us awesome. Great. Okay, so that means I have one question and one question alone for you, which is, what were your top and bottom thrills? Well, uh, it's probably kind of fairly obvious that at this point my bottom thrill is the uh, lovely pieces of art ruined by the large question marks. (laughs) (laughs) The whole stupid who named that perp quiz. Um, That was consistently annoying. And the fact that it was scattered throughout the annual, <laughs> so that, yeah. you know, you can't even get it out of the way in one go. You you keep being annoyed by it. Um, <laughs> top thrill. So this is really interesting because when I first read this annual, like, not, not when I first read it, but when I reread it last year or whatever, mm-hmm. it was the Brendan McCarthy that just jumped out. I was like, wow, this is amazing. This is so beautiful. It's so surreal. The letters floating off Dred's badge and his fingers melting. Um, this is amazing. And then when I reread it, last week for the show mm-hmm. i was like oh no it's got to be max normal because it's so light and delicate and funny and unexpected <laughs> and it's such a change of pace and then when i 
read it again last night, <laughs> you know, with Ron Smith's death fresh in my memory, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, it's clearly the Black Plague. You know, the Black Plague is is just amazing. And, and not only as a tribute to Ron Smith, but because it's such a tense, non-stop story. It's such... That it, and that it switches between the kind of claustrophobia of the siege. There's Dread riding a horse across the cursed earth to try and save everyone's life. There's numerous mayhem scenes. I, mm-hmm. it's, got every, it's got it all. And it's a perfect tribute to uh, Dread's greatest artist. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean... And I, I, now, be, yeah. I turn over to you, Conrad. Oh, fantastic. Bottom and top thrills. Yeah, I mean, hey, I'll easily take um, Name That Purpose a bottom. That's a great choice. And a lot of this stuff was really great. Like, this actually has some really great stuff in this annual. Um, all the uh, all the new stories, I think, are really fun, whether it's um, the Ian Gibson one that's just sort of dread doing a lot of multitasking or um, the Brendan McCarthy one that's incredibly trippy with like and 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 has really mind bending art that really takes advantage of the uh, of, of the color in these annuals. You know, that that's a story that you couldn't really do in black and white. And so I think it's a really great like annual story specifically. Um, to even even the Brian Talbot one, which, like we said, is sort of is one of these seeds, and just all of the shots of the Rambo dwarf like make me smile just because they're so ridiculous. To like the Max Normal story, which yeah was just a great just a chance to hang out with his character. Like Max Normal is one of these guys who, you know, I don't need him to have a lot of action or even a lot of intrigue. I just kind of want to hang out with this guy and listen to him talk crazy uh, Hepcat uh, hep talk. Um, and even the tech story was pretty decent this year. You know, I've seen some bad ones in my time, and this one was not was was pretty interesting. Although it did sort of fall apart once they tried to explain things. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, and then yeah, and then Black Plague is one of my favorite Dread stories in general. It's got an amazing art by Ron Smith, and is just a one of these early examples of okay, we're going to have this sort of yeah mile a minute war story that's really going to to draw you in that feels like it's another one of these stories that feels like a warm-up almost for the apocalypse war and and block mania of just sort of here's how we're going to tell here's a a four prog version of what's going to be this 26 prog uh story you know but i think i think for my top i'm going to pick the brendan mccarthy story um just because yeah, good choice like that because that story especially because of its use of color because of the way mccarthy draws it it really feels like an early version of like late 80s early 90s dread that's so different from what we've seen before and so this sort of like you know proto version of it i think is very important and makes it something that that's very like that 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 that, that really stands out even from the rest of this amazing annual Oh man! All right, awesome. <laughs> I hope I, I I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner two thousand on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or on our podcast site at spacespinner two thousand dot com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner two thousand at gmail dot com. That's what Joe did on the two thousand eighty forums, or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages on Twitter at Space Spinner two K. Everything else, look up Space Spinner two thousand, and we should be there. And Joe, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I've there, been uh, following the show for a while and have just been I don't know, over a year now and just been loving it. So it's a, a real joy to just kind of come on and uh, share our love for this amazing piece of work. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much. 
And then everybody else can come back next time as we continue this little uh, working vacation that we're having for Space Bear 2000 at the moment. And we'll do the 1987-2000 AD annual with special guest, high-level 2000 AD fan, Scowlin' Monkey. It's a, uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun. We got new stories for Rogue Trooper and a Strontium Dog story with a young Johnny Alpha, as well as the classic, re- as, as as well as a reprint of the classic Charlie and the Terramax Robusters story. You'll never walk alone. Oh, brilliant story! That's a really good choice. Really good choice. Yeah, I'm, re- I'm really excited about it, honestly. And until then, I'm Conrad. They're Joe, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid Earth Rig. 